You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Today's episode is a bit of a trip down memory lane for me. My guest, Sadie Nardini, was actually one of my very first yoga teachers. You may know of Sadie from their very popular YouTube channel, but before YouTube and before social media, Sadie and I both lived in a small town in Iowa called Cedar Falls. Sadie owned a coffee shop at the time and taught yoga classes, which I attended, and we bonded over our shared love of yoga and coffee, frankly. (laughs) If you haven't heard of Sadie, they were one of the first yoga teachers to gain a big following on YouTube. In today's conversation, they give us a peek behind the scenes of that experience. Now Sadie creates digital yoga and fitness courses with a focus on spinal safety and anatomically informed alignment. They consider themselves to be a disruptor in the wellness space, and their image and persona invite all of us to question our assumptions about what a yoga teacher is supposed to look like and act like. During our conversation, you'll hear a bit about what it was like practicing yoga in a small town in the early 2000s what it was like to suddenly get YouTube famous, what Sadie would, be, would do differently if they were starting out now, and their advice to teachers who are trying to get noticed online. I hope you enjoy this peek into the mind and heart of a creative rebel who wants to give you permission to be fully yourself as a teacher. Let's jump right into the conversation and I'll see you on the other side. Sadie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. In a moment, you know, it'll probably be natural to talk about when we knew each other before, but let's start even before we met and how you found yoga and why you decided to start teaching. Sure. Well, um, I'm terrible with dates, so I'm just going to go by like decades or like ranges of five to 10 years sometime in there. Um, But the reason that I found yoga was not at all how I expected to ever find any type of exercise program, mindful or not. Um, I was in a swimming pool one day when I was 13, just having a great time. I was a very athletic kid, always loved to move, but I was little too. I mean, I, I think I was probably 85 pounds, five, four, when I was that age, I um, was just minding my own business and a grown man, a big guy, jumped off the side of the pool, cannonballed, you know, when you hug your knees into your chest, onto my head because he didn't see me there, knocked me out. They pulled me, thankfully, out of the water. They put me on the side of the pool. I came to and I had no recollection of the accident. I didn't know why I was there. I, I, I got up, so I think I'm okay. I don't know what happened. I walked home and I proceeded to go into this partially paralyzed state for a couple of years where um, my whole central nervous system was somehow impacted. My All my muscles were s- soft, it felt like. I couldn't do much more than crawl around. Definitely not exercising anymore. Definitely couldn't go to school. Um, could not walk very well, if at all, not without support. And my head hurt really badly. It was two weeks before my mom took me to the hospital at all because I didn't remember what happened. 
So she didn't know what was wrong with me. She thought maybe she's sick. She's lying around all the time. Um, she's getting these headaches. Okay, I should maybe take her to the doctor now. Um, we went in and they did not take a neck x-ray because they didn't know what happened because I didn't know what happened. Um, so they tested me for all sorts of things. The test came back that I had stage four leukemia and we had to wait two more weeks to find out that was a lab error and I actually did not. And by that time they said, well, maybe she had spinal meningitis or something. And now it's, you know, it's kind of, let's just see how her body reacts. Maybe you'll walk again, maybe you won't. Your central nervous system has somehow been kind of melted. Um, I'm sure that was not the official diagnosis, but that's how I remember it as a teen. So I was at home for two years in the dark, having migraines, not being able to control my breathing diaphragm, panic attacks five times a day, 10 times a day, just because of that, um, couldn't walk, couldn't move. So my mother had this kooky book from the 1960s on the shelf called Richard Hittleman's 28 day yoga plan. Um, and she said, maybe this will help you breathe better, um, feel a little bit better. And I could not do anything remotely resembling what I do today or what you would think of in a yoga class. I could lie on the floor, a lot of restorative poses, breathing exercises, meditations, and they helped a tiny, tiny, tiny bit every week. And I could see an improvement every week. Instead of five panic attacks a day, I'd have four. Tiny, tiny things were huge to me. And so I just thought, well, if this can help me this much now, maybe I can keep going with it. If I do it every day, perhaps it will help me get stronger. And over a period of 10 years, it did, where I started getting strong enough and healed enough to begin to go out and find like the most basic yoga class you can imagine. In When I was starting to now be more college aged and into college, I could only do like a chair pose for two seconds. Um, so what I am now is not what I started out to be. And the yoga I practice now is much, much stronger than that, but I still have that mindfulness and I understand different populations because I really have come the full spectrum from nothing to being able to do more. And when did you decide to start teaching? I didn't actually, I was decided for, um, because when I was getting through college, I was in this woman's class. I really didn't know what yoga was beyond the book. I walked into this woman's class at, I think it was a gym somewhere one day. I just love, she was so glowing. You know how yoga teachers can look and be energetically in the world. And I have, I'd never seen that before. I went in, I said, oh my gosh, what workout do you do that you look like that and you walk like that? Are you a dancer? Are you, she said, no, you know, I, I ride my bike a lot um, and I am a yoga teacher you should come to class, you know, cause that's always the next thing. Like I try it out. Come, there's a mat near me. And I did, but I thought, Oh, I'm not going to get a good workout and get stronger from this yoga thing that I thought was just that gentle stuff I did. Cause I'd never even seen a class outside that book that we didn't have internet. We didn't have any other really yoga books out there? Can you imagine? No YouTube yoga, no Instagram, nothing. I just thought, okay, yoga is this thing that's really easy. And I went into her class and it was Ashtanga, the first 
pose was something I could not even do. I don't know what it, I think it was chair maybe. I don't know why she was starting with chair, but I remember starting in chair and just being overwhelmed, shaking so hard. I had to just do something and get out of it. So I stood up and walked around the room, like took a lap and I'm talking to people. Now they're in dog pose flowing. I'm like, do you, is this hard for you? Oh my gosh. Um, should I rest? Like, should I, I'm talking. And so she came over very kindly and said, okay, here's child's pose. Why don't you go into this whenever you feel like you can't do something and just work up to more. And it took me three years to work up to more. So in answer to your actual question, um, after three years, I was strong enough. I knew the practice really well. I knew the series really well. And she wanted to move to India and there was no one else to teach. So she said, Sadie, I'm gonna, put, I'm gonna bring you through a months long training pro process, just me and you. And then I want you to teach this class because otherwise you're not gonna have anywhere to do yoga. So you have to do it. And I was like, oh man, hard sell. And uh, I was the most reluctant yoga teacher of all time. What was her name? You know, I don't even, it was Carrie. K-E-R-I, I almost said I don't remember, but I do remember. Carrie, she was this beautiful African-American woman who just like radiated peace and strength and glow and I couldn't get enough. She's just so awesome. Um, so yeah, I took over her class and they, I, I would bring the pieces of paper. I, cause it was one, it was the first and second series I think I would do and I would, I printed out these huge font pieces of paper. I had 11 pieces of paper laminated in order all across the long side of my mat facing the class because I didn't want to forget anything. And I just had no confidence in myself as a teacher, no idea what I was doing. I even had breathe, like at, when, you, when they're supposed to breathe in a pose, I would also have that. And it was, I would just like go down dog. Um, okay, breathe. You know, it was horrible, I thought. But after class, people came up and were like, we love that. We're so happy you took over. Thank you. And I started to realize, okay, I could talk more. I have opinions. I could read more and bring that in. And I started to kind of invest creatively in the class. And that got me hooked, you know, got me hooked seeing that I could help other people like I was helped. And, um, the music career I was dreaming of kind of sat on the side and <laughs> here we are 25 years later. <laughs> and at some point after that, you moved back to Iowa and that's where we met. I did. I moved back to Iowa for a little bit to try to teach, you know, and then in Iowa, it was not anything, but like, you're going to teach in a, in a drama or a dance. Um, room in the university. There weren't a lot of yoga studios, certainly not in our town. I remember taking classes with you in a church. Oh yeah. That was the one of the coolest. I found any space to teach and just, Hey, come on in. Let's try this thing. Um, wow. That was way back in the day. And it just was always something I wanted to help and offer, but also I'm really lazy by nature about exercise. I'm not going to do it unless I have a really good reason to do it. I just, I'm not very self-motivated that way. So creating a career around having to show up and practice, having to teach, 
having to know and be in my body in certain ways has given me the motivation to do it both when I'm then with people or on camera almost every day and also just on my own because I know people are waiting for me and expecting things of me. I don't want to let them down. And that's what I needed to drive myself. I can relate to that so much. Knowing that I needed to show up for my students helped me to create that habit and helped me to keep showing up. I, you know, I talked to, I think it was Sean Korn or, or somebody really well known like that. I think it was Sean. And I, I asked, um, what's your personal practice like? She was like, oh, I, you know, practice for two hours most days and I'm just really in my in my soul the soul of it and she's just totally into it or then you have someone like Anna Forrest who will because my yoga studio in New York City I had then hosted her for a teacher training and we had to give her a key to the studio because she was coming in from three to six a.m and doing her personal practice every day and her assistants had to practice with her three to six in the morning like every day, if I'm not mistaken. And that is not me, that whole thing. If I get a 45 minute practice in at my house, I guarantee you I'm watching a ghost show on the travel channel or something while I'm doing it. I am not the sit and be with your movement for more than like 20 minutes. That works for me and I can be fully in it if I know it's not gonna go on too long. But if I've gotta do something longer, I'm going to, sit in temple pose and watch TV and get my movement in and not try to make myself something I'm not. Do you have ADHD? Oh yeah. Yeah. I absolutely diagnosed from childhood, but I'm hyper creative. My doctor said, he said, I prefer to call it hyper creative and you need multiple avenues to create within, or you're not going to feel like yourself. Um, so that had helps me too much focus on one thing at a time just is not what calms me down or, or centers me. It's having a few pots on the burners. I love that. I can dance between them. It makes me really happy and I'll complete them all well, but I've got to be able to kind of bounce. I have a new theory. I think ADHD, first of all, it's really underdiagnosed in, in women, but I think it's probably overrepresented in the yoga world and, and especially amongst yoga teachers, because we do best when we're embodied, we do best when we're moving. That is when we feel that we can focus. <laughs> and so, um, this is, I was not diagnosed in childhood. My journey really started when my daughter, my oldest daughter, by the way, I have two kids now. Um, <laughs> wow. Time flies girl. Time flies. Yeah. Cause my older one, the one I'm talking about right now, she's 19. Uh, unbelievable. I'm telling you everyone, I don't know, you're not going to see video probably, but she does not look a day older than when I saw her last and it's, it's impossible, but I think we've both done all right. You know, it, ha it has a lot to do with the lifestyle and being as balanced as we can, but moving a lot, moving and exercise is huge for keeping up your longevity and your sanity, your sanity. I love how you said, I love how you said we need to be embodied. Um, that is absolutely the case. If I don't move for a whole day, something, I mean, I have a Peloton in my apartment because if I'm not going to do yoga or my yoga shred stuff, I'm riding the bike. I, if I go a day without it, I feel completely sluggish and different and heavy and uninspired. And it's just movement is something that calls me almost every day.
speaking of the ADHD brain, right. <laughs> it's going to be hard to keep us on topic, but my daughter was diagnosed and she was diagnosed at 14 with ADHD and autism. And that was, she and I are like, so alike in, in our neuro expressions. That was my first like realization, like, oh, um, time to look at your own history <laughs> through this new angle, this new lens. Mm -hmm. And so the other thing I think is that yoga asana helps us to feel more normal because first of all, we're moving, we're, we're embodied, we're, but we're also focusing. We're also learning to focus our brains better, but a lot of women, we mask really well. And so that leads to this underdiagnosis, but it also leads to a lack of integrity, really. Like it's not, it's not like a problem as far as like, we're not purposefully being out of integrity, but we're not showing up as our full selves because we're trying so hard to please everybody else. We're trying so hard to appear functional or appear the way that people want us to be. Absolutely. No, it's important to note that even for yoga teachers, because if you are someone like that, there are different types of, of, of brains and organization and how, how we function. I think I read an article, it was in um, Psychology Today, and it showed two desks. One was completely organized in the way that we would think organization should be, where everything it was in its place and the little squares of this and all the space. And then there was another desk that looked what we would say is messy, but they said for certain people, this is how they need to organize. And the other one makes them feel less sane and focused and able to get their work done. Um, we all we all do things differently. There are some teachers who need that linear focus and who really need to work on more creativity, maybe branching out more from that linear thing that's hard to break away from, like your class plan when you get into the room and there's five different people who cannot do anything that you have on that piece of paper. How do you innovate? How do you get creative? How do you shift in the moment? That's a strength that maybe those types of brains need to work on. And then people like us who tend to go off book instantly um, can work on structuring their classes at all, structuring their lives so that they're not flying out doing everything for everyone and putting out all the fires. Most of the fires aren't even theirs and reining it in and containing to do more of your movement practice every day, more of your self nourishment practices, eating, fueling yourself, uh, listening to yourself and spending time with yourself instead of filling the void all the time, which is something that we tend to do. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And even within the ADHD neurotype, there's so many different ways of expression. And so that's been really interesting. I've just found that with my girlfriends, with my, my deepest, closest friendships, so many of them have ADHD that I, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, is this, is this a case of I'm attracted to people with ADHD? Like we, we feel like we're on the same wavelength or is it the case of, you know, because obviously a lot of them are also yoga teachers or, you know, is it, is it that there's just a lot of ADHD in the pond, you know, as I'm having these conversations, I'm also finding like, wow, we our, our coping mechanisms are different. Our expressions are different. You know, there's actually three subtypes, um, in adult ADHD, 
primarily inattentive, primarily hyperactive and, and the combo. So what happens is that, you know, if you, for example, you don't have the hyperactivity component, then you can totally miss like that, that aspect of your personality. Cause you're like, oh, I thought ADHD people were like hyperactive, you know? Right. And um, in fact, freeze, the freeze response is actually very common with ADHD brains because they get overwhelmed with all the options and then they don't know what to do. And then they, they kind of get stuck or some of us get stuck that way. So that's just so interesting. And it's, you know, it's one of those situations too, where once you start noticing a pattern, you see it everywhere. <laughs> and yeah. so when you were talking about yourself earlier, I was like, that sounds like ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, thankfully I had one doctor when I was young that told my mom, she's hyperactive. Uh, you need to medicate her. And she medicated me for one, one time she medicated me and whatever the dose was for my little body knocked me straight out for two straight days. I, and when I, I was just a zombie, she said, just completely not myself. She, and, and she thought this is going to take her personality away. This is going to take her creativity away. This is one of, these are the best parts of her. Like, I'm not going to do that to her. She took me to get a second opinion. And thankfully that doctor said she, you can call her hyperactive or you can call her creative hyper-creative. And um, so she just started giving me lots of projects and taught me the art of completion. From a very young age, I was trained to not only have different outlets that I could maybe switch to, but to learn to complete them all in time and keep my focus on that so that I didn't just leave a lot of stuff unattended, which serves me really well now because I've got an online subscription studio. I've got two styles that I created, three really with the somatic release work. I've got social media pages to look after, uh, courses that I create and sell online and a rock band. So <laughs> I have to be able to hyper create, but also complete and make time and space to not do any of those things and to rest myself. That has been the biggest dance of my life is to know when to stop and when to go. Sounds like your mom gave you a big gift with that because that's definitely something that many people with ADHD struggle with. Speaking of all of these creative outlets, I'd love to dig in a little bit and especially to kind of go back and continue with the timeline of your, your story and talk about when you started your YouTube channel because that was at that time we didn't have the technology that that we have now where you just have everything in this one device and the device your phone has this amazing camera in it and you can just <laughs> you know magically upload really easily um paint a picture what was it like well it was not like it is now because the, like you said the tech wasn't even there and you couldn't look online which had kind of just become a thing that you did and even find out how to make really nice videos for YouTube because YouTube was new. I don't even remember. It was early 2000s, I think. I've been told all sorts of different dates. I'd have to go back and look. But I mean, when I first thought about YouTube, it was because I had heard about some crazy kid jumping off his parents' rooftop on this site that had videos on it. And I went to find it. I don't even know how I found YouTube. And I said, oh, this is interesting. Let me search this and see if there's any yoga videos. So I typed yoga in 
and like three videos came up and they were all videos of Iyengar from the 20s or 30s, black and white, really sped up videos of like sun salutations or him doing some contortiony things when he was young. That's it. No other yoga videos. And I thought, well, I don't know if anyone on here wants to see yoga videos because there aren't any. I mean, isn't that mind blowing to think of this moment in time? I thought, well, no one's coming to my class in New York City because I just moved from Iowa to New York City and no one knew who I was. And there's a few yoga centers or, or really fitness centers that did some yoga classes. I, I wanted more students to find out about me, maybe come to a retreat or a training sometime. Maybe they'd be in New York sometimes and come to class if they saw me up there. And I thought, well, okay, I'm going to make some yoga videos. I have no idea how to do that at all. I'm going to Best Buy. <laughs> I went to Best Buy and I told the guys, hey, I want to do this. And I have this kind of computer. How could I make a video of me in my apartment doing yoga and then put it into my computer and get it up onto this YouTube thing. And they didn't really know. So we had to walk each other through every step and figure out what equipment was needed. I had a camcorder, I had a plug into my computer or I had a car, you know, it was just so rudimentary. No idea how to use lighting. I was a shadow half the time. Light was, for, I had a lamp that I turned over on myself. It looked like old seventies, like Kung Fu movies. <laughs> Like not not great production value. And people love the information. There were people online that wanted to do yoga at that point and that was were also searching like I was for it. Um, and I got a lot of subscribers from just being one of the first people on there. That translated into people coming to see me, joining my retreats places and that sort of thing. And as other social media platforms started to arise, I would look at them and go, oh, does that feel creative for me? Would I like to use that format to teach some yoga? Facebook was the next one that I jumped on. Now I mostly do Instagram and I push everything else to Facebook just because I like the format. It makes me feel lit up. Um, my YouTube channel is okay. I put videos up there sometimes, but it's not anything like it used to be where I'm paying a ton of attention to it. It's mostly a calling card now because I can't focus on every platform at once. You know what I mean? Like I'm tired. I'm, <laughs> I'm creating lots of stuff. So absolutely. You, you can't be everywhere. No, eventually you can kind of be everywhere, but you can't do everything. Well, mm -mm. it sounds like you got traction right away. And I'm curious, did you ever question like, is this a crazy idea? And do you remember the moment that you were like, no, this is really going to work? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, everything I do as a yoga instructor, wellness specialist, uh, you know, fierce living advocate, all of things I like to do, everything I do, I do it for myself to please myself first and to make me feel like a creative artist. And if it is not fun for me over time, I mean, I know creating things, 99% of it isn't sexy. You know, it's, it's just, it's the work. But if I'm not feeling creative around these things for long enough, I let them go and I try something else. I shift. I'm always creating because I'm passionate about something or interested in something. And then secondarily and gratefully, other people will then rock and roll with it, resonate with it, and end up 
coming to find me. So when I started the YouTube, I was all excited about it. It was just fun anyway. So I got, that's the value for me. I got, it was fun. And I was also teaching in person a lot and that was my bread and butter and fine. But I took a nap one day and I woke up in my little apartment in Brooklyn. I thought about Perez Hilton, which I don't know if any of you know this person, but uh, Perez Hilton is a gossip columnist online gossip celebrity like it's just so cheesy and i used to watch it online sometimes just to get my mind off the serious things i'm always thinking about <laughs> fluffy fluff i woke up and thought i know perez hilton is on a fitness kick right now i'm gonna make him a little yoga practice and create all the like rename all the poses to celebrity things just to be cheeky and send it to him and go, Hey, here's a cool yoga sequence you can do to get stronger and stay fit. But I would like name it wind beneath my wings, you know, cause I know he loves Bette Midler and whatever. And that was warrior three flying warrior three. I sent it to him privately and within five minutes, I was working on my YouTube channel and noticed that I was gaining subscribers by the hundreds and then thousands all at once. I gained 9,000 subscribers in one day. I'm like, what is going on? And I thought to check Perez Hilton's website and he'd posted it to like a million people and said, this is ferocious, like ferocious, I guess. <laughs> this is ferocious. And then I got a ton of people who loved yoga finding me like, wow, I can't believe your channel because I'd done the work because I was passionate about it without expectation or even knowing if anyone would see it. And I had like a hundred videos up on YouTube already. So when they got there, when the opportunity came for me, when my inspiration arose and I followed it and it happened to work out, I was there for them. I got so many people and I also got the haters or the, the, you know, the toxic people that ripped me apart like oh you're old oh i don't like your hair why are you wearing makeup you're not a yoga teacher um tons of stuff to so just people just saying mean things to me who don't even know me and it really hurt my feelings and it was my first dose of the wild wild world of putting yourself out there on social media and i had to ask myself if i even wanted to continue so that for me was a real tipping point do, am, do I want to put myself out there as someone who is not the strongest, most capable physically person that you would see in yoga, but I'm very strong and very capable, but I have had a severe injury. So I've got to be careful with myself. I was older than you would see now online. A lot of these 20 year olds in their bikinis, super strong, doing all their handstands. Um, and I have a different look than a lot of people would think a yoga teacher might have, and especially then, I had to choose. Am I going to let that negativity stop me from doing something I feel will be helpful for people and that I love to do as an artist and as a creative? Or am I going to keep going forward? And for me, there really, when I put it that way, there wasn't a choice. I just kept going, thankfully, because now I've reached millions of people and I know that I've helped a lot of them a lot. And it, that, then it was worth it. But still to this day, I'm not going to do anything I don't feel passionate around in my core. I'll do the work for it. I'll do all that. But I'm not going to compromise and I'm not going to 
be silent and I'm going to speak my truth and be who I am. And if that runs out, then I'll do something else like a beach bar. I'd totally be happy running a beach bar. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. The ability to reinvent yourself, you know, the, the willingness to just walk away. I, I think it provides a lot of freedom when you say, you know what, I'm going to be all in right now for this, but I could also walk away <laughs> because I do see, and this is like kind of getting into yoga philosophy a little bit, but like yoga teachers approaching their teaching with this grasping, like this, like this has to work. And, and almost like this is a referendum on me. If people like my class, if they like my teaching, then, then I'm a valuable person. And then if they don't, <laughs> then yeah. I'm not. And that's dangerous territory because when you when you are doing anything, whether it's yoga teaching, cho you know, choosing your creative path or, or your agreements or who you are and what you're going to allow people to see and, and, you know, what music you're choosing for your classes, anything, when you're doing that to please other people, because maybe another teacher in town, a big teacher does it a certain way and people really seem to like that, whether you just went and studied with a famous trainer for a weekend and now you're like, well, they had 200 people in their class. So I'm going to switch everything and be more like them or whether, whether you're just looking around constantly and shifting your class to overly please people or teaching what you learned in teacher training, because that's what you know, instead of, and then going home and your personal practice is completely different. I had a big epiphany when I started realizing I don't want to teach Ashtanga anymore. Like for my body, it didn't work at all. It was really hurting my joints. As I learned more anatomy, I learned what I wasn't doing correctly. Um, and a lot of those poses as you progress, just, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. They're not anatomically safe, but for me, I wanted a more creative style. I wanted more leeway. I wanted to dance around. I wanted some strength work. The stuff I was doing at home was totally different than what I was that had learned and was teaching. So I went and got another certification in it, like creative vinyasa flow and started learning anatomy. Therefore I could then mix and match and do my own thing. That was really important for me, but I do think you have to do what keeps you passionate and lit up enough to want to share and offer it. And don't overly deviate from that because somebody in class didn't resonate with you, didn't like it, didn't get it. If you stand strong in who you are, people will come that like what you're saying and can see you. And the ones that don't will leave and go find their teacher who you are not. And that is a teaching, whether they get that or not, it's a beautiful teaching and offering you just gave them to hold your center and to express yourself authentically. And to just do the, the wacky style that you love, let's say, then, it is a bumper car to some people to say, no, you're going to go over here now because I'm not going to over, I'm not going to please you because that wouldn't please me. I won't turn my music down. I'm not going to stop playing Prince. I'm not going to um, stop talking this much. I am not going to be more regimented. I am me and I am not your, I am not the teacher for you at this time. What a, what a powerful thing to know and to stand in. I think if, if more teachers could get to that place and ask themselves first and always what, what I want to offer, who am I, how am I going to express this now? How do I want to express this next? 
and to be that grounded within themselves, then they're more likely to be that dynamically attractive to their right community. I love that. If you were starting now with the technology as it is, but also the competition that's out there, how would you go about it now in today's world? Now, I think it's more important than ever to stand out um, in the sea of people all teaching down dog and all doing their thing to really sit and reflect deeply on what makes you unique. You don't have to have a mohawk like me or have the whole rock, rock who you are, you know that. Uh, but that's me, that's who I am. I didn't make that up to make a brand. I took who I am and what I love specifically and I put it out there. If you raise pug dogs, then you bring that in and you're the you're that teacher who has all the pug dogs all the time and that's your page, it's like pug dogs and yoga. That's enough to make people really see you and love it. And you get a lot of dog lovers and yoga lovers. If you love your tea, you're always drinking tea, then you bring your tea in a lot and you share a lot about the the herbal brews that you make people try to just teach the yoga and be very serious and very knowledgeable and that's it no one wants no one loves a down dog you know no one loves a brand that is like everyone else's no one loves yoga they're they want to be in relationship to your type of yoga your words your take on it your lifestyle too and who you are so i would start now finding those three or four aspects that you love both the what you teach but also some interesting things about you that you want to bring onto your page and use as part of your offerings i would definitely get on instagram reels to be more kind of technical and specific <laughs> because instagram is not shutting down reels like they are doing to every single other thing that you do and reels is an awesome way to bring in the video aspect, which is gonna give you way more views, way more people interested in what you have to say. You can add value in every reel. Always be giving your desired community tips and value-based little things that can help make their lives or their practice evolve in a way to help them be stronger and more happy and more comfortable in their lives. We all want that. And um, just get over yourself too, because Ultimately, it's not about us. It's not about you losing this much weight or looking like the, the most photoshopped person on social media. It's about service and helping those students that are there, out there online and that would come into class, find you because you're being clear and you're there and hear your message in the way that they needed to hear it in order to really intake it and improve their lives somehow. We're doing it for them. So we use all our shiny bells and whistles and we get unique and brave and we put ourselves out there a little bit and we help. And that's, I think when you think of it that way, it's a little bit less about you and it, it's less about, oh, well, what will people think of me if I'm marketing myself or if I have an ego? Well, it, ultimately it's what your intention is that matters and um, it's you being creative and service service serving others that I think is the way to think of it and then it frees you a little more to do some of this stuff that you need to do if you want people to find out where the good stuff is it's interesting it's kind of a paradox right 
be yourself, but do it for them, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's fully, it's dual spectrum, right? Like ha and tha, it's the sun and the moon. It's the inward and the outward. You've got to draw in enough to know who you are and, and what you're there for and to keep yourself lit up and passionate. And then you also want to express out creatively and the intention of why you're doing that. If it's just money, people will know that. They'll sense it. If it's just accolades and fame or being having everyone love you, it, you're gonna be miserable. Because no one will, not everyone will always ever love you. They don't. And the more you you are, the, the more polar it will be. Ton of people will love, love what you do some people will hate it and there's not a lot of like meh because you're not being meh you're being you so they they can see you but it is it's a duality that we practice all the time in yoga like you can't do a back bend without firing up your core strength and drawing in or you're going to hurt your low back you know i i wonder this sort of ties back in with the ADHD conversation one of the qualities I've noticed about my own brain that I'm starting to connect with, with these tendencies. And I hate calling it ADHD because it's like you were kind of alluding to earlier. It's like pathologizing a difference in how we think that is really a beautiful gift. But one of the, one of the angles of it is being able to hold paradox, being able to see and experience the world in these complementary opposites. And to be like, yeah, that's how everything is. Everything is multifaceted and multidimensional, of course, because we're constantly <laughs> shifting our perspective from one angle to another angle, to another angle, to another angle, right? We never, it's not linear. No, it's, it's the breath. I mean, we are capable of inhaling and exhaling and that's, that's how life sustains, you know? And if you can learn to totally do it for yourself, from yourself and totally do it in service of others, you'll, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, worry that's about all. It. <laughs> that's it, no big deal. But you'll know when the balance is off, if you're doing it too much for them, you'll start to feel depleted and unsure of yourself and ungrounded and insecure. Um, if you are giving away too much and not like asking for money, I mean, we have to, we survive in part on money. And so you've got to, you're not marketing yourself and creating things to sell or drawing people to class. Then that's also going to deplete you and make you stress. If you're overly doing it for those reasons or just for yourself and screw them. And I don't care what you need when you're in my class, we're doing handstand today even if someone's got a broken wrist, you're doing it, then, then that tips too. But usually it's more subtle than that. It's, I call it the razor's edge because it's very easy to tip over one side or the other too much. But that's our mindfulness practice as teachers. That's the, that's the moving meditation. Life moves and you wanna stay in, in this conversation as much as you can. This is why I suggest every single person listening to this, get a cool journal that you love and go to a cafe or a bar. I don't care. Like I drink wine. You can have your tea or kombucha, whatever. Go sit somewhere that makes you feel creative and peaceful and listen to yourself and write down what you're hearing almost every day. Even if you have to sit in your bathroom, moms, new moms, and light a candle for five minutes, listen. And that practice of self-listening will tell you more than either of us ever could about what you need to do. 
So speaking of self-listening and introspection and kind of learning that, that journey of learning about yourself, one of the things you mentioned in your intake form was that you identify as Mm non-binary and I don't know how long that, you know, how long that journey has been for you or what that's been like. Um, was it, did this sort of happen as you were already in the public eye? Do you want to share a little bit about that experience? Sure. I'm such a newbie at talking about it, but I'm happy to try. Um, Obviously, being non-binary is a broad spectrum of feeling differently about gender than just that binary kind of mentality that we have mostly had, like you're born this sex, and then that's how you're expected to be and act. And if, if you cross the gender spectrum, like I'm born female, so I'm expected to what? Um, not have a mohawk with half the back of my head shaved off now, um, have the long, pretty hair. I've been told this so many times by people. Oh, I love your more feminine hair. Or the things I wear. Wow, you really dress like a guy sometimes. Why don't you wear a dress sometimes? I think you look really pretty in a dress. Or acting assertive in my business life. I was on a call recently with some other CEOs of their companies and I had a complaint, something that absolutely wasn't working for me or my team and I had to really lay it down. And I'm very good at just straightforwardly saying, here's my issue. Um, I could, you know, I know in the back of my mind, I can walk away from anything and survive. So I'm not upset with them. I'm just saying, this isn't working for us. It's been a a broad pattern of this. We need to change it. Is there anything you can do before I consider my other options? And that's all I said. And the CEO was like, whoa, okay, Missy, stop getting so emotional about this. Um, And I, he's like, there's no need for all this emotion. And I said, oh, I'm not, I'm not emotional. I'm just being very clear. And um, as my husband can attest, this is not me being emotional. So let's move on. And I'd love to hear your answer to my questions. And, they, and then James got on later in the call, said the exact same things, much more emotionally. He says he's off. He says very emotionally. He did. He was basically like, you're not giving us the answers you want. We want. We'll walk away. We'll burn this thing down. You know, he was saying stuff and they were like, oh, oh, yes, sir. Of course, of course we'll do that. So the the gender binary, people live all along that spectrum. And I really think that we have these really deep um, ingrained ways that we are taught are okay for our birth sex and not okay for men too. Like, oh, don't cry. Don't be a, don't be a you know, a wimp, let's just say, but there are other words, all these things that we say directly impact how we grow up thinking we have to be and what's not cool for our gender. And I never felt personally, I never felt just like what I thought it, what a female should be. I think that I am both at one time. Um, I always have felt that way where I always had the more masculine within me and the more feminine. And in yoga, we would say that's always for everyone. We're dancing with that. I feel pretty even most of the time though. So I'm kind of weirded out when someone says, oh, why don't you wear a dress? If I, cause I'm like, because I'm also someone who wouldn't wear a dress. Like I, 
I have, and I, this is gender, this is calling gender, I know this and I'm learning, but I do have in my mind what I call girl days and boy days where I feel more into my feminine aspect or more into my masculine aspect. And I want, my dress will change because of it. So I just found the word a year and a half ago non-binary is a word, but that's always been me. Uh, now I have more of a conversation with the queer community. I'm really diving into that to see where I fit in and to spread the word that you can be whoever you need to be. And I posted about that. It felt pretty vulnerable because that was new for me to talk about. And I got so much love. And then there were a few people who were horrible, homophobic, um, although I'm not gay, I, I, they were just like, you're disgusting. The Bible says, you know, you shouldn't even be allowed to live and all this stuff. Like I'd stone you to death if I lived back in Jesus's time, horrible. And I was like, oh my God, this is what people feel like who can't hide, who can't hide back who they are when, when it comes to being a very polar type of person like being totally gay and out or being a trans woman or something, you know, I was lucky that I could kind of pass. And when I spoke my truth, um, I, I saw people come out of the woodwork who were just awful people and they got blocked. That's fine. But I got a lot of love too, but I had to do it for me. So that's a very long answer to still figuring it out. Definitely would love to be referred to as uh, they, them, or she is fine. He is fine. I feel like all of those completely fit me. And so call me what you want or just call me Sadie. Yeah. I think that a lot of people have been having this exploration because it's the conversation is out there more, but it just wasn't when like you and I, I was in college, you lived in Cedar Falls, like but we were doing yoga together. I remember doing yeah. Rodney Yee videos in your living room. Um, <laughs> nobody was talking about this. I mean, I was part of the LGBTQ organization on campus and there were some trans women in that organization. There were gay men, there were lesbians and there were bisexuals. And, and that was like, that was it. So now that the conversation is out there so much, it's an invitation, especially to those of us who pass to really, to just do that self-exploration, right? Whatever form it takes, whether it's journaling, whether it's meditation, whether it's conversations, frankly, I find a lot of self-reflection and increased understanding of myself through conversations with others, other people, the questions they ask. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we're getting more, as we speak about it more, more terms are arising. Um, two spirit was something everyone wanted to call themselves, but that's really reserved for the native American community and should be. Um, so we had to, we, we had to find another term and terms are bandied about and lots of people use different things, but it was interesting when I said I am, it was non-binary awareness week. And I posted that I, I, um, identify as non-binary and here's why, here's how I see it. And here's how I am. And the, the negative comments were over like a span of the week, not too many, maybe 10 out of hundreds, mostly women, a couple men telling me that I shouldn't be able to call myself what I want that. Oh, wow. Now we have to do this. Like we're going to have to be hypersensitive and everyone's going to want to be called something different. And I thought, oh, that's rich coming from 
the population who everyone agrees who you are and you get to be who you are. People call you what you want and you feel comfortable with that, but no one else can do it. It's always that way. The people often see uniqueness or difference as oppression somehow. People, people that are in the power class will see any attempt at equality as oppression and flip out. So I knew I was seeing that it was fine, but I think it would be a great world if we all identified however the heck we want to. I'll call you purple. I don't care. What do you want to be called? Once I learn it, I'll just like your name, I'll say, oh, this is how you are as an entity. Great. That's what I was going to say. I was like, oh, we learn everybody's names. Why can't we learn their gender expression? Yeah. Yeah. One lady was even like, I can't look at a bunch of people and figure out what they want to be called and just call them like them all the time. And I said, you just said it. You said, I don't, I can't look at a big group of people and see what they want to be called. I'm not going to call them them all the time. Said so you've already just done it in this post. You'll you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we refer to people already. So you're just saying they think of someone with two people inside of them, like me. Call me they. Mm, I like that. Yeah. If it helps your mindset. Or, yeah. or various people, various, you know, people dancing around in a person, then you could go, oh, they don't, you know, them over there, that, that one dance floor contained in a human form. That's me. For even when I was in college, even in Cedar Falls, I was exploring myself and I've always been very broad spectrum. I like who I like. I, I want to dress differently from day to day. I think of myself differently, but I'm always in a core expression. I know who I am deep inside and it doesn't have a gender. It's just me. That's awesome. I'm not sure I could say that I know who I am deep inside, at least not all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) On the similar topic of the haters and the critics and, you know, there's a lot of times that people are really just obviously out there to cause trouble and they're basically trolls. Right. And so those people, you just block and you move on with your day. But as somebody with a big platform and as somebody who describes yourself as a disruptor, I imagine that you get, you know, a variety of, of types of reactions, including some difficult criticism that isn't just hate, right? That contains some validity. It's much easier, I think, to react to the haters and to just be like, oh, you are, (laughs) you're not worth my time and energy. It's a lot harder to receive criticism and to be receiving it because you have a big platform, right? It's, and we could criticize everybody. We could, you know, like everybody has their, their blind spots. Everybody has their ways that they could grow, but you receive criticism as a, as somebody with a big platform And it's, I think, an opportunity too, to be like, all right, when is this criticism valid? When is this criticism something that I actually could grow from? And I'm curious if you've had experiences like that. Oh yeah, here and there for sure. And I am very open and respectful to anyone who wants to come on my platform and give a critique. That's what I call it. Um, Because criticism, for me is more has more of a negative connotation. I feel like it comes from a kind of rude place, but that's just me because I don't like criticism, nobody does. And I think a lot of people have a negative relationship with it. So when I think of critique, come on my page and critique me, which means to me, you're saying whatever you wanna say in a respectful, curious way. Or if you are a professional who has knowledge that I don't, and I did have a blind spot around it, 
bring it up respectfully. And I will go down a rabbit hole. I'll go, oh my gosh, thank you. I, I'm going to research this, you know? And I, I started a whole style called the Yoga Shred because way back in the day, I was talking about how yoga can tone and define your muscles and like lift them up. And they were like, actually, usually that's not what yoga does. You, you're dealing with type one endurance-based muscle fibers versus type two power-based muscle fibers, which do this, that, the other thing. So what you're describing your yoga doing is more like what a faster twitch like hit would do. So I was horrified that I didn't know that and went down a huge wormhole and came out the other side, creating a complementary style to more slow flow endurance based yoga classes. Even even if you're kind of moving it in yoga, you're still not doing high intensity interval training or resistance training with lightweight and faster movement too. So I, that was awesome. I'm very happy to hear all of that. Well, not happy, but I want to hear it because I don't want everybody just kissing my ass. You know, I, I love that people love things I do, but I also want to know when there's something I could learn because I'm always trying to learn. Have you gotten any pushback on using the term yoga for a hit program? Um, yeah, sometimes people are like, well, that's not yoga no, it's the shred part is the hit part. And the yoga part is the yoga part because I do yoga posture and then I move them into high intensity interval training uh, speed because we also need to gain the cardiovascular um, enhancements and fast twitch muscle fiber action, bone density improvement, and all sorts of stuff that you can get from light impact, mindful joint, high intensity interval training. So the, the yoga shred is not supposed to be, it's supposed to be two different things in a title. And I explained that to them and then it's a little better, but also I would say the yoga shred is extremely mindful, well-aligned, breath-oriented for the purpose of everything that we do in yoga for detoxification in the way that the body actually detoxes, for moving more healthfully, for longevity, for, um, all over health, not just what the body looks like. And every, every posture is completely uh, conscious. So I, I'm not sure what's not yoga about it anyway, but usually I just say, oh, look, you know, it's the, there's the yoga part of it. And then I add the shred part and they blend together because I don't need to have that conversation every single day, but usually people just love it. And once you do it, you, you feel the empowerment, you feel the mindfulness and the moving meditation of it all. It's just looks a little bit different than it's, it's really just speed that we're talking about. Like the, the rhythm of it is different. Um, but to that point, I realized a while back that the yoga teacher trainings I had gone to didn't do, you know, the anatomy was lacking to put it nicely. And we learned muscles and bones and joints do this sort of, and then we learned shape. We learned this is the shape you want the body to make in triangle pose. And here are some cues to get them into that shape. But what I didn't learn was physics and biomechanics and how your body moves as a holistic whole and myofascial meridians and all that stuff. Um, so I I went back to school. I've been studying for a long time. And now I just got a Harvard certification in musculoskeletal anatomy. And I'm almost done with a Stanford certification in exercise physiology, um, exactly how the body moves and doesn't, what type of exercise does what, how, how different bodies react. And 
I think it's really important for us to always continue our education, even outside the realm of yoga alignment, yoga anatomy, because once you study that broad stuff, I know you know, but once you study the broader range of what the human body is capable of and needs, then you realize that slower, I mean, pretty much any yoga or power-based yoga class even is simply not enough for holistic fitness. We need to complement and cross-train and add different things in. So that really helped me be able to speak back to some of the critique, either in saying, thank you, I hadn't thought of that, or saying, actually, this is what I know, and, act and actually, you're not correct, and here's why. Let me give you another perspective. Let me tell you about my knowledge and, and the reason I created this stuff. Nine times out of 10, that's what it is. But if someone could bring me a critique at this point and change my mind or show me something I'm not doing that I could be, I'm, I want to know. Who wants to, who wants to continue with a blind spot? Not me. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that one for sure. <laughs> and I think it shows a lot about a person how they respond to, you know, you use the word critique, critique. The other word that came to me is feedback. It, I think it says a lot about a person, how they respond to that, because really we're on this earth for a limited amount of time. And frankly, I think our job is to learn while we're here, yeah. like as much as we can, and we need other people for that. We're not going to learn as much in a vacuum. So speaking of that, this is a question I ask everybody. If you could influence yoga teacher trainings around the world, like if you could just wave a magic wand and be like, poof, what would be the number one thing that you would want to make sure that yoga teacher trainings were focused on or incorporating? Well, I have to, can I say two things? Because two sure. things are equally important. <laughs> one, is, one is more practical and one is more kind of, I don't know, ethereal maybe. But the practical one is I would like to see teacher trainings dive into the anatomy of movement and not just yoga alignment, which is very different. Because what a pose is once you get into it is not the same as how you need to get there. Once you're in a pose, with all these long limbs, like warrior two, straighten your front leg, lean over, straight arms, straight spine, straight legs, and then grab something you can grab triangle pose. Um, if you've done that, you've basically locked yourself out of 80% of the strength and benefits of the pose, but that's how we are taught. Like we've got to get in like a breath sometimes from this fully expressed shape to this fully expressed shape. And the body doesn't move that way. So I would encourage people to take more time in the transitions, to bend limbs more, to play with the earth, get their joints in space, learn how joints even move and how they don't so that they're not saying these old yoga alignment myths that don't work for the body or can hurt you. And that is going to be really hard to get every yoga teacher training to teach, but that's what I would change first because I think we're moving bodies. We should really know about all that stuff. And then I would encourage teachers, which would totally get me fired from every single training that they paid me to be in. I would encourage every teacher to teach completely differently than the teacher that you learned from and figure out how you can intake the information you learned here and then do your own thing with it to the point where get your own interests, create your own amalgam of movement and create a class that's called something different, that's creative, um, but that doesn't work for a lot of studios, which are kind of many, not all 
studios are trying to churn out clones of the teachers or the classes that work the best for them, um, what their students want or, or just who, what style they are. And therefore you are not encouraged to be a rebel. You are not encouraged to be unique in any way. You are encouraged to toe the line. So it's very corporate boxed in, you know, expression style. Oh, who are these babies? Come uh, meet Sadie. This is my daughter, Hello. Raina. Hi, this Raina. This is her, her friend, Malia. Malia, can you um, hey, Malia. lean over here? Hi. Hi. <laughs> How you doing? How are you guys are you doing? Good. Um, I am recording a podcast right now. So can you guys go find Jim and ask him for the snack? You know where Jim is? Yes. Okay, great. Go find Jim and close the door behind you. Okay. Love you. I love your style. You're rocking it. <laughs> Today was school picture day. Oh, you look amazing. I love her black and white dress with the little feathery thing. That's on there. So awesome. Like, where can I get one of those? I know. I wear a dress if it was like that. Kid clothes is much more fun than grown up clothes. Oh, I'm sure. Okay. So I love these two. These two, like, priorities for you with the teacher training, the anatomy and biomechanics, and like learning about the body more. And then also how to really be yourself, how to make it your own. And you know what? What comes to me when I hear that is, you know, 200 hours is just not enough for that, right? That's 200 hours is what pumps out clones. And yeah. it's where we go after that, that enables us to create our own, own amalgamation, our own version, our own style. So, um, but I love that. I love that you had those two different things. And the good thing is that there's no rules here because it is my podcast. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I've created those as online booster training. So people can, you know, if they've got the clone training or they've got a training where they're just not feeling like they have direction for those two things. I do have those, but that's what I can do. I can create that stuff and offer it. Um, that's how I run my teacher trainings in person as well. But I do think that a lot of trainings are lacking that because it's hard to learn that much anatomy and movement, uh, movement anatomy, especially it's, <laughs> there's not a lot of people who fully understand that enough to go in and explain it and translate it to student stu teachers who are just been students learning stuff. So I get it, but that those types of boosters are really important. And if listeners want to find out more about you and, and find out about your trainings, where should they go? Uh, they can go to sadiecourses.com. I made it real easy. S A D I E sadiecourses.com. That's where all my personal and teaching courses are. And then on Instagram, I'm Sadie Nardini official. And that I have tons of free stuff on there. You can look at my links. My, my online subscription studio is like five weeks for five bucks right now. It's awesome. It's fun. Just go. It's easy to cancel if you want to bounce, but if you want to stay, I'd love it. And that, that's it. You know, just find me and say hi. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was really great to catch up and uh, to hear a bit of your story and to see these connections and and how you know the the yoga world is changing and we're changing along with it yeah it's been awesome to see you too and just to have this conversation i hope i hope it's helped and um let's not let it be like 20 years next time <laughs> i think that's a very good idea <laughs>
hope you enjoyed Sadie and my digressions down memory lane and her message to really focus on being true to yourself as a teacher. I know this is a theme that comes up again and again on this podcast, but it really bears repeating in this world where we're so inundated with other people's thoughts and opinions all day long on social media. One thing about this advice to be yourself that I don't think quite comes through all the time is that part of how you do it is by trying on things other people say that resonate with you. Now, this doesn't mean copy what your teachers say mindlessly, but do pay attention to what really strikes your heart. This could be your yoga teachers, your favorite podcast, books, etc. And then when you notice something that really speaks to you, try saying it in your own words. And the more you practice, the more your message is going to naturally evolve into something different and uniquely you. Even though these days I find it pretty easy and natural to decide what to talk about and what to say, I also know that the kernels of everything I talk about came from somewhere else, even if I can't identify where. Usually it's because I learn from multiple sources and consider multiple angles on my way to developing my own ideas. So for example, right now, I'm taking Sadie's message about being yourself and I'm developing it with my own take on how that unfolds over time. Sadie's definitely not the first person to share that message on this podcast, but I bet you'll agree that they do it in their own specific way. And that way is going to speak to some of you and other guests and the way that they talk about it is going to speak to others. When you're newer to teaching, it's totally normal not to have immediate clarity about what you stand for and even what you're really good at. So the first step is to notice what excites you. Notice what feels intuitively true. I love Sadie's advice to journal regularly. And the point to me is to make the habit of introspection. Pay attention, notice, notice what resonates, write it out, speak it out, rinse and repeat. So it doesn't have to be journaling on paper if that doesn't work for you. I think I mentioned in the episode that for me, a lot of times conversation is a form of journaling. And if you find that you're easily influenced by others and kind of tend to go which way the wind blows, then you might want to consider limiting the number of voices in your head by following fewer people or even taking a break from social media altogether like I'm doing right now. Not that I feel that specific tendency, but I do feel sometimes an overwhelm with the amount of input coming in. I have seen a trend that I think is really harmful to the ability, specifically to newer teachers who haven't quite developed a sense of themselves as a teacher. And that trend is this, I don't know if it's explicit or implicit, but this idea that the very first thing you need to do as a yoga teacher is build a social media following. And if you then go to take any trainings on building a social media following, one of the first recommended steps is usually follow other big accounts in the same industry. Now, this might be fine, especially if you have a strong sense of confidence and you enjoy the content that these folks are putting out. For a lot of yoga teachers, it's a recipe for distraction, overwhelm, and imposter syndrome. And really, no matter how long you've been teaching, I truly believe that we can all benefit from taking periodic breaks from that input of social media. So as I'm recording this episode, I'm about a week in to a month-long social media reset is what I'm calling it. So I'm not 
getting on social media. I'm not scrolling my feed at all. There's a few things I need to do for work that I'm either getting help with or I'm doing it in very specific structured ways. I made a plan to do this several months ago. And just before getting started, I was really surprised to notice these waves of FOMO, fear of missing out, coming on. But once it actually started, the fear more it kind of went away. I think it was because I would see things on social media and then I would be like, oh my gosh, if I wasn't on social media, I would have missed this. But since I'm not on it, I have no idea what I'm missing. I'm doing this reset along with a few members of the Impact Club. And this morning during our accountability meeting, we talked about how there isn't any way to absorb, do, know, and experience all the possibilities that life has to offer us anyway. So making the choice to cut back on input and to deliberately say, I'm going to do less, it feels powerful. It feels like a statement of enoughness. And that's one of the core messages of yoga. So whether it's a social media reset or not, I hope you find some ways to reduce the input, reduce the pressure, and find ways of being and ways of practicing that remind you that you're already enough. That's all I've got for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you for caring enough to teach yoga.